let's descend the podcast into a bit of chaos. More chaos. More chaos. That electric moment when a ball hits the back of the net. Unbelievable game. Two great teams going at it. Compared to the other three beside him, he just looks like the new cafe or something. We are making a documentary about how shit our club is. <laughs> VR is bullshit. Who is the biggest cheater in football tonight? Harry Kane, without a fucking doubt. Without a fucking doubt. Good evening and welcome back to the Football Bubble. We are back. Uh, we took a week off because uh, my father died. So there you are. Uh, we'll, that'll get a nice little icebreaker for anyone that's listening. Um, yeah, you know, unfortunately, um, yeah, dad, dad had been ill for two years with cancer. Fought it really, really, really well, to be fair to him. Uh, never backed down from it. Constantly fought it head on. Uh, but unfortunately, the evil bastard that cancer is, it, it, um, it took him from us last last Friday morning, but uh, we didn't do one last week, just because obviously we had some funeral coming and I don't think any of the lads were in the headspace for it either, but we're back now, um, and and actually fortunately for Dad, with him passing, he managed to miss one of the worst Liverpool European performances away, <laughs> ever, and the Euro- Champions League European Cup was his thing, like he wanted us to so win a league and he's buzzing but because he never missed a European game he didn't miss a European game across Europa League and Champions League at Anfield since well before he gets sick but he hadn't missed one from 2008 which is some going um, he was in every, every home European game from 2008 and if there wasn't if we weren't in Europe he was at every cup game and a few league games Um Including the game it's Gerard Slip, but we'll not talk about that. But yeah, so um, we missed. He, he missed that. I've got Steve and Brenton with me. Now. Hello, boys. Even. Um, and we'll just launch straight into Liverpool and get all that um, poor and terrible and tragic <laughs> uh, performance against Napoli out of the way. And what I think maybe Liverpool should tweak a little bit, or what I think maybe it's a bit of an issue. We'll move on to talk about the football being postponed. Like, just uh, get the fuck. And then also um, Thomas Tuchel uh, getting boofed. Steve being right, which is very, very unsettling. Probably the most unsettling oh, I news. That. I think it's actually the most unsettling news I've had in two weeks, and I've had a big two weeks. And then Graham Potter <laughs> coming in and taking over uh, from Thomas Tuchel. And by the way, I, I'm not, when I said the football getting fucked, I had nothing to do with the monarchy. I just think it was like stupid that they cancelled football when other sports... Uh, carried on. I just think that was daft, and there's been things have coming out where they think certain clubs weren't going to um, pay respect, or whatever. And I just think it's the football authorities hiding because they knew they'd made a complete and utter balls up of the whole thing. But we'll get into that. Don't worry. On Liverpool Wednesday night, um, away at Napoli, a tough game anyway. I don't think Klopp's ever won in Napoli. Liverpool certainly under Klopp haven't won in Napoli. That's one nil, two nil, and now four one. They've been chinned. A couple of things. Joe Gomez chucked in a Dejan Lovren against Tottenham Hotspur performance, which is not ideal. Um, the midfield looked all over the place uh, until Thiago came on. Um, only Luis Diaz up front looked bright. And I think there's a certain player who's lucky that uh, 
some of our one of our key players from last season is injured, and that's Kanate being injured. Because I think if Kanate had been fit, I think Liverpool. There's an argument that Liverpool could be going with Kanate and Matip as their two centre halves. Um, there's been a couple of times this season I'm intrigued, and both your lads come in on this. What you think? And Steve, you can come in first if you want. Um, where Van Dijk has looked really off the pace at times, but it's sort of getting overshadowed because <laughs> Gomez had a stinker, and there's maybe been poor performances maybe higher up the pitch certain signings being bought for 85 million pounds everyone thinks they can jump on his back I don't think Nunez is the problem but I think Van Dijk's having a really poor season so far I think that's really fair um, I think Salah you can throw into that mix as well in terms of players who are not really like, I think Van Dijk in particular though like just to, to focus on that for a second I think he's had more bad games for Liverpool this season than I had seen him play for Liverpool in his career to to, yeah. to do like it's just it's bad performance after bad performance and he just looks he looks lethargic he makes the wrong decisions it's like all his confidence is completely gone and I never would have considered him a, a confidence player but he he really does feel like that but I also think he's not helped by whatever way Klopp is setting the team up I, I don't know if, if you'll, you'll know this better than I will but it feels like the midfielders are playing too wide um, and that means that the press can't happen as well as it could and it's obviously exposing then a high defence if you've got your midfielders out too wide so like I think there's a few reasons for it but like you're, you're right Van Dijk has probably gotten away with um, with a lot of criticism that he would normally have got but Gomez Jesus Christ like he was at fault for what two of the goals and should have been at fault for two more Um it was one of the worst performances I've ever seen, but yeah, it's it, that's a tough like this this break. While obviously none of us like it, um, it might have come at a a, a good time for Liverpool. Yeah, I, I think that's. I actually I know in the in the group chat we wanted the football on and I was throwing grenades in. Um, certainly at cousin mud anyway, because I want I did want it called off only on the on the circumstances that Liverpool would get a break because Wednesday night was atrocious. Um, it should have been it should have been played anyway. It should have been called off, but we'll we'll talk about that later. But I think just with on the, the Van Dijk thing, I think he isn't being held because certainly since Thiago's been injured, Fabinho's been left on his own. Mm. To cover that, and you can you can see the legs have gone out of Fabinho, Fabinho like not completely gone. I mean, just over the last couple of weeks because he's having to do so much coverage. Like for the last thirty minutes, when Thiago came on the other night, he shut up. They shut up shop midfield, and that, part of that would be that um, Napoli took off that absolutely mental Georgian Carvadona, who looks like he's going to end up winning all the Ballon d'Ors. <laughs> he looks frightened. I don't know how they got him for ten million. No one else in Europe noticed him. Part of, obviously, and players got fatigued for Napoli too, and they came off as things slowed down. But they just look much more solid in midfield. And you'd like to think going against Ajax on Tuesday night that Thiago and Fabinho will start together and things a little, a little bit better, especially a bit more cover in front of Van Dijk. He's not being helped by, and this is me sticking up for Van Dijk and throwing someone else on the bus. Trent Alexander Arnold, like, yes, uh, can be an unbelievable passer at times. Yes, certainly against a one-on-one at times as a defender it can get caught out but to completely just give up that's two goals at least now they've been caught two or three goals United first goal Jadon Sancho and then that goal on the second goal from Frank and I think what do you call him uh, uh, the Napoli centre midfielder that scored anyway on Wednesday night Trent just stops 
chase them, just stand still. That's not acceptable. And you'd almost, as a Liverpool fan, you'd almost wishing now that Calvin Ramsey wasn't having to go through some of the growing pains, which is which have been reported in injuries and a few injuries since he arrived from Aberdeen, and he could have got a few minutes under his belt because you feel like Trent's not being pushed where he thinks it looks like he feels like he's too cosy at um, right back, and I I certainly think on Van Dijk. I told spoke to Brenton last night when he was over having dinner. There's a, there's a very very strong argument. I heard this. I think it was the Anfield rap that said it as well. Last season, Kanate and Madup were arguably our two best defenders, and Kanate certainly for me was our best centre half. And when he is fully fit, I think he is or he should be our first choice alongside Van Dijk. Um, not just because of what's going on now. You sort of saw it t- t- towards the tail end of last year. Even if you look at the Champions League final, Van Dijk doesn't go. To close down the man, he sort of waits, the ball comes across, bang, it's 1-0. There has been those moments creeping in, and you sort of wonder if maybe a little spell where when he's fit, but he's not getting picked, could be a kick in the hole that he might need, or is it a case, Brenton, we spoke about this last night, are there players, and I'm not saying it's Van Dijk, but are there players who maybe have a bit of an eye on the World Cup, and are sort of half arsed thinking, not half arsed, but half thinking, right, well, I've especially if someone's been through a serious injury, I better just watch here because I want to get to this World Cup. Well, I think that's exactly what it is. Um, I, I, there's no other explanation for it. If we're talking in terms of Van Dijk, um, definitely. I think it is the case with <clears throat> some other players at some other clubs too. Um, but uh, as you said to me, um, he was he wasn't involved in the Euros, was it, for... Um, no, he was injured. He was injured, so I mean, the, you don't get that many opportunities to play World Cups and Euros in your career, um, especially as a captain of of your country. So that's bound to be, you know, even subconsciously playing on his mind. Um, when he's when he's fully at himself, Van Dijk, he he makes it look as easy as as any centre half I've ever seen and it's almost as if there's a bit of hesitation there and you can see the hesitation leading to you know late challenges and um like giving away stupid free kicks and like things you wouldn't associate with Van Dijk at all and you know Klopp you know we know how how good Klopp is um and he's bound to he's bound to have seen that as well because it is such a uh, uh, he's so far removed Van Dijk from what we're used to seeing, and mm-hmm. it's not like anything else really could have unsettled him. Do you know what I mean? Like there's there's been no real changes in the in the back four goalkeeper. Like um, maybe in front of him, there's been a wee bit of um, sort of shifting about injuries, things like that. But sure, that's that's been happening for a while now. Liverpool in the midfield. So it can the way it started immediately at the start of the season. The World Cup's bound to be on all the players' minds, um, and you can you can sort of see it in like the elite front runner teams that you would usually associate it with, like Liverpool, Man City. Certainly, Man City like have haven't had an unbelievable start like I know they've been very good at times but they're they've been dropping points too and um some of their players are bound to be thinking about because because they're 
these players are playing in, in for teams and countries that will want to go all the way and if they have a slight chance of being injured um you know seeing that now Pogba's out for the World Cup and you know if if these players don't like take five ten percent off their performance because they're afraid of getting injured or you know missing the World Cup it's it's noticeable at that level and it's certainly noticeable with Van Dijk because he's usually at a hundred percent. Do you, Steve, you're you're a coach, an off an offensive minded coach. Would you change formations at Liverpool? And would you would you get rid of the high and both of you actually and want you answer this after Brenton, would you get rid of the high line? It's really hard to go away from something that you've made your identity for what? Yeah. That's part of a decade and a half. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because I think what you said there is 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 kind of right uh, about the complacency with Trent, and maybe that's it with with Van Dijk as well. It's like who's cha- like who's challenging him for a starting spot? Like no, as we've seen, you know, over the last few weeks, whoever goes in beside him is, is such a drop off in terms of quality. Uh, and I think you're right with no one coming behind behind Trent either if it's an interesting one so I'd be I'd be more looking at fixing it personnel wise um than, than really like open just like ripping everything up and starting again I think yeah. I think the problem for Liverpool as well some of it is like it doesn't help and I, I know this is stupid but it really doesn't help when your assistant manager writes a book called Intensity and then we show absolutely none of it for the first yeah. games of the season. You could have predicted that was going to happen, like couldn't you? Yeah, like you're just you're just asking for trouble. Like yeah. you're just asking for trouble. Like that's the kind of book you write when you've when you finish coaching. You don't do it yeah. while you're you're an existing coach. I honestly go think yeah they probably have to look at not necessarily changing formation but getting that like losing that wit from their midfield like really tightening up that midfield a little bit more um and maybe they'll have to like just ask Trent to kind of not be as high you know when he's when he's going forward like maybe like ease off a little bit but that again that goes against all his natural instincts um so it's actually a really difficult one to um to kind of fix, even with time that they're going to have. Um, so yeah, I, I'd be looking more at, at maybe making some personnel tweaks rather than than, 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 than kind of changing the formation. Because I just think when it's your philosophy as a coach, like it's so difficult to get away from it, even when it's, because it served you so well for so long. Yeah. You have to think, oh, it's just a blip, we'll be fine. Um, so... I, I think that's probably where where it was. and I thought it was interesting I was reading I, I can't remember where maybe the Athletic and like Liverpool didn't have a single counter press until Thiago came on yep like that's mad like you know 63 and, minutes and there you go that shows that maybe it's more of a personnel thing than a than a system fault so that's what I'd be looking at first anyway I'd be interested to hear what Brendan thinks I agree. Like I don't think Klopp, I, I don't think they should, and I don't think Klopp will go away no. from from the high line. Um, it's it's just not <laughs> it's not feasible. It's, it, it would be completely breaking down everything um, that he's worked on at Liverpool for 
See, he, what he is, did is, say is after five, the game. Five, six years he's been there? What is it? Seven. Uh, seven. He said seven. after the game, the need to we need to reinvent ourselves. Uh, and, uh, this so, has prompted probably questions from people, but um, I, I mean, is there? I know we've uh, we have talked about it a few times, but is there an argument for? I know Gomez didn't cover himself in glory, but is there right an back. argument for for putting him at right back and putting Matip on Van Dijk and Alexander Arnold into the midfield? Like makes so much sense to me. I think the more what you. You have a, more of a chance of seeing Gomes at right back and a midfield of Thiago, Fabinho, and Arthur. Uh, certainly on Tuesday night um, against Ajax. I, I know Harvey Elliott has, has arguably been our best performer along with Luis Diaz, but um, I think like just a little bit more solidity in midfield, plus um, Arthur and Thiago very good passes to the ball, and then you can get Diaz, Salah. The problem is as well like. Salah has only scored, I think it's two goals, but he's created the most chances in the Premier League. We're obviously just not taking them. But and it, uh, people were arguing that, or people were saying he's far too wide all the time. But he was as wide as he was last year. The issue is he's dropping far too deep. Mm. The, the width is fine because that's how wide he was at times last year. But he's dropping into our half at times and uh, trying to collect uh, the ball. Uh, and then when the ball is being played through the side of Trent and played forward. It's Nunes and Diaz, they're on their own. And Salah's, you know, in our half. Do you know what I mean? He's dropping far, far too deep. I know they wanted to possibly get him involved more and create more different things, but I think they need to go maybe look at um, getting him and and Nunes a lot closer together and leaving Diaz out wide on the left. Diaz has been brilliant. Like, he's been, him and Harvey, as I said, have been the only two bright sparks of this season there's times where Diaz does things just still you're just like how do you manage that and his goal the other night as well was brilliant yeah. um, so I, I would leave in a weird way I would leave Diaz well well left wide like he's been with Robertson and I would tuck Sal in more at times towards Nunes and see because this there's so much nonsense being spouted about Darwin Nunes and not being given a chance and, and people are just ignoring the fact that he was he absolutely tore a hole off the Champions League last year including against us may I add yeah um, well, just, the, the the point I was going to make there was about Nunes. Like we're really not that far into the season, and he he missed two games because of his red card. He didn't start the first couple of games. I think we haven't seen him enough with a full strength Liverpool team uh, yeah. alongside him. And I think there's you know, Holland's a, an absolute freak, and he to be fair <clears throat> is. Is scoring a lot of tap-ins, um, but the, the creativity at Man City is frightening, and that was always going to be the case. But Liverpool have to adjust to Nunes, you know, as much as he has to adjust to them. And he's a very different player to Firmino playing that role because, as you were saying, they're trying to drop Salah to to get more involved in the game. Firmino does that naturally. He he is the. He's in that area in between midfield and and the front three naturally, and he links up naturally. Nunes will, wants you know to face the goal. He wants to be running in on goal. Um, so it's a it's a big change and wanting to get Salah more involved, um, further further back into the into the sort of the midfield. Um, I don't know if that's really going to work because he. 
he is a, a high and wide player. Um, so having kind of more ball in the midfield with, with the likes of Thiago and, and Arthur makes more sense to me. They can control the ball in there and get it out wide. Like Diaz has been unreal. Get it out wide to Diaz and, and Salah and see if they can link with Nunes in the in the box because he'll want to be in the round like like Holland is he's the same sort of player I know he can run onto balls as well and um, he's actually quicker than you would think he is but um, he's a you know he's a fox in the box number nine really I, I think with Thiago and like this is the million dollar question if he can stay fit for a long long enough period of time you'll see He'll get he'll get more out of Diaz and more out of this attack. You saw it already when he came on against Napoli. Like Liverpool looked like they were going to offer something going forward because Thiago was able to like at least think uh, attacking and push the ball forward and and really try to create something. And you'll see that um, come for the next couple of weeks. But yeah, it's it's a it's a moment for Klopp because you have the the seven year thing hanging over him. Like like this happened at Mainz, a little bit different than Liverpool. Obviously, it happened at Dortmund. Um, is it going to repeat itself again? Sport is always full of quirks. Um, so let's see what happens. Um, but he has a big enough week coming up, obviously Ajax, and then maybe Chelsea, not sure if that game's going to go ahead. And then he'll have Rangers and an international break. So he's got a couple of games to try and change it. But for me personally, just uh, we'll move on from this after. It's just on Liverpool. It, it just, uh, my dad was always better when Liverpool lost because now he would <laughs> not during the game like um he would get very very cross very very <laughs> cross um and but after the game he always had something to say or, and it might have been something cringy like it might have been a, a meme or something to do with you'll never walk alone or whatever it was but it was always something he he wouldn't he wouldn't let me go to bed without saying something for, for me to not be in a negative headspace which is nice and that was probably that was well that was the first time in my whole life where there was nothing there so it was it was weird like it's even the derby on the Saturday last week against Everton I wasn't I wasn't arsed do you know what I mean mm. um, which is a strange thing like because I am always arsed about Liverpool um, but I just wasn't um, but we'll see that'll come back over time maybe Finn will latch on to it like I have and then we'll have that going down the line or maybe he won't maybe Brenton will evilly infiltrate him and he'll be a Chelsea fan and I'll have to hate Finn for the rest of his life which would be good too um, well, but we'll see what, what I, happens but. what I will say quickly I know we're moving on but what I will say is that it sounds you know like it's completely natural what what you're feeling a lot of people I know I said this to you already is that a lot of people would have that relationship with their dad or their granda or their mum or whatever and it centers around football so to have somebody you know come out of that leaves a big hole obviously for a while yeah um and i know like you have other um liverpool supporters who are close to you which you know will be obviously a great help in the in the coming i will yeah yeah, um, but yeah, I think you know at the minute you may not say it, but I think eventually it will be a way for you, you know to to remember your dad and, and um, you know even um, you know get some joy out of watching Liverpool again. Yeah, um, hopefully they won't be shite, and um, we'll. Oh, I can't we'll... guarantee that. Like. 
No. <laughs> the last game he ever watched, they were beat by United. Like, that's fucking cruel, that is. Like. Um, but we'll move on. One last uh, egg from Fergie. Oh, no, one last egg from the old bastard. Like, and then um, his cousin that did the service was an Everton fan. You couldn't make it up. Like, um, <laughs> We'll move on because, obviously, Steve's had a big week. His queen died, and then it was his birthday. And the football was called off. Stephen... Your opinion, please, on the football being called off. And remember, we don't have a solicitor hired, so try not to get us cancelled. Uh, well. Oh, no. I, I really oh. we have, you know, a lot of listeners from across many communities. So yeah. let me just say that my problem is not with the British monarchy. My problem is with all monarchies. So abolish the monarchy is, where, is my starting position. Uh, on this, but I think I do know what it is. It shows, it shows a contempt for working class people from the UK establishment because basically what they said is we can't trust the poor's in quote marks to fall into line and join the entire nation in this collective grief, and so that's the like. There's a reason the horse racing went ahead. There's a reason the rugby went ahead. The cricket went ahead. Like. It was that the there was a couple of teams. I think we probably both can guess who they were across Scotland and England who maybe wouldn't have seen uh, the events of last week the same as as everyone else. And as is their right in a democracy, they probably would have protested the um, uh, the anything that was happening. So for me, it was just cowardly to call it off. Um, the other argument is that what it does is it, it, it ensures that a lot more people are probably watching coverage, non-stop coverage of the world's longest funeral um, because there's nothing else on. So there's there's that as well. So I just thought all in all it was a, a very, especially this year, like the calendar is compressed enough with the, this stupid Christmas World Cup that we've all to put up with. Um, like we're getting into very very dangerous territory for asking players to play as often as we're going to be asking them to play um so for me i i, I just thought for many many reasons i just thought it, it, it was a nonsense nonsense decision Brenton? yeah pretty much pretty much agree with everything steve said um i think as well if they were if they were being honest about it and genuine it would have you know why why could it not have been an opportunity for you know these hundreds of thousands of fans to pay their tribute if that's what they wanted to do or not pay their tribute if that's what they wanted to do um <laughs> but you know to to see all other sports i think it was all other sports i'm not sure if there was others cancelled but um or postponed or whatever but to see them all go ahead and for the national sport uh, not to go ahead just i mean makes absolutely no sense does it uh, when it's you know supposed to be a not national celebration and all the sort of drivel that that they've been spitting out um you know the the pomp ceremony at, at some of the some of the sporting events um and and stage right like how are it's just going to encourage you know if football had a if the football authorities had 
any sort of concern for for players and and teams and managers and whatever, but mostly players, then they would have had to let them play because this encourages fixture squeezing and injuries and you know, uh, dare I say it, maybe injuries to English players who could end up having an effect on the World Cup bid. So, you know, if it comes down to that, they only have themselves to blame. Um, and also it was shit ass boring this weekend without any football and I did tune in English football um, yes um, yes we, um, me and you watched a good game last night um, yep. from the continent which we are no longer part of um, but <laughs> I think you're still part of the continent. I think it's the you know, it's union, the economic group that you're not part of. Yeah, yeah. You, you get where I'm coming from. Um, but yeah, that wasn't happy. Um, and I don't know when they're going to play the games, especially if you know next weekend is also postponed. It's causing a problem. I think next weekend is probably going to be postponed by the sound of it because the. Uh, the 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 brains, and I use that term very lightly, um, uh, within football organisation, the FA and the Premier League, and obviously, pardon me, the EFL, all think to make sure these games go ahead. They'll switch them round so they'll have London teams will go and play away, um, which and they didn't cons- they didn't consent any fan groups on any of this by the way they didn't talk to fan groups about postponing the games they didn't talk to fan groups about what pardon me their plan is so far for next week we haven't spoke to them yet for next weekend it's a complete and utter farce um, postponing the games postponing amateur games and children's games is just stupid the English football especially and we'll have to lump um, Scottish into this and obviously the IFA have done their thing as well they cancel all their games, but English football especially loves to try and make a big massive deal out of things. They love to try and make a big PR type gesture. Look at us, we're English football. And every time they look like fucking idiots. Every also, time they get it wrong. Like, like usually they try and do that with like some sort of token gesture and don't really ever do anything about the real issue, but they do it on the pitch, and they do it, you know, yeah. playing the remember game. Remember the time that someone dresses a poppy? Do you remember that? <laughs> no. That was like a Wolves game or something, and that someone dressed as a poppy? They come walking on it like, what? But, but I know, you're going ahead, Brent. No, I was just going to say, but, you know, usually it's kind of, um, you know, this is this is hard because sometimes they're like a lot of the time they're good messages but my my explanation is about the fact that they don't really do ever anything properly about it they just make the gesture and get the players to make the gesture and usually it's you know all televised and all like spread as far as they can possibly spread it um but in this case the you know, chose not to do that um, under the guise of respect for the Queen, but really they were shit scared of um, the reaction from some fans. And They were just... shit scared of Liverpool and Celtic. 
Yeah. They were worried Liverpool and, and Celtic were not going to respect the monarchy. And maybe um, a handful of other clubs too. Yeah. Um, but that's the two main ones. But like the the whole thing with me, and I know we're a football podcast, is like they're trying to force us to mourn something that maybe we don't want to mourn. Not in a disrespectful way. We just don't care. It's not something that affects our lives. Fair play to you if you're a royalist and you really love the Queen, the royal family, and that's your thing. Fill your boots. But if you don't, like you, you just get on with your life. Now, I'll take the bank yeah. holiday. Don't get me wrong. I'll take a day off. <laughs> but do, do, you know, do, do you know what I mean? I, I, I just find the whole thing just I, insane. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't get it. I don't. And then to, like, to give the governing bodies the chance. So rugby league, rugby union, cricket... Um, golf, horse racing, British superbikes were on today as well. All went ahead and they did their own thing. But the FA and the Premier League, as you said, shot the bed and didn't want it because they were scared of what a few fans. Now, don't get me wrong, like there are going to be fans. <laughs> like Celtic are not going to do anything, and that's within their rights, whatever. And um, there's going to be certain fans at Anfield will not respect. Well, and like if there's an national anthem sung or whatever by certain fans, they'll boo it with them doing that. FA Cup finals and finals anyway that's going to happen but like you have to understand as well why people maybe do not like the monarchy or what they've found from the monarchy or whatever and people for some reason when this has happened everyone just feels like you have to be a monarchist and you have to just respect and fall in the line I find the whole thing mad I also find the whole all the rituals that the big king himself has to go through now absolutely fascinating and insane like mm-hmm. the whole, like the whole, rec, the whole uh, script and all that was done in case a monarch, in case the queen dies, how radios transmitted, news transmitted, everything happens. I find that all insane, but also fascinated by it. But just uh, calling off football games and amateur football games, like that was just fucking stupid. But the thing is, like the it'll, it's it's gonna happen, you know, at the next Celtic game, whenever that may be. Anyway. Um, and like people uh, you know I I wouldn't obviously really call myself a royalist but I I like the queen you know I didn't I didn't mind her like I I thought she was um a great lady and I would have um like if our match was on on Saturday and there was a minute silence, I would have happily stood and respected that minute silence. Like anyone else, you know, who maybe passed away, like you're, you're talking, for example, like an Irish president or something like yeah. that. Um, but to, to kind of, as you say, force, force people into, um, this, whatever it is, nine or 10 days of mourning. Um, when, when you think about it in reality, Queen probably wanted the sport to go ahead, <laughs> and that's the that's the funny part about it, about it, all of it. Um, and football will be is as you say trying to take this stand, and it's gonna come back to to probably bite them in the ass. Like, yeah, it's it's just daft. I, it's just stupid. Like, I, I don't know. I hope they get the games going ahead next weekend. Um, Listen, if you're gonna be offended, don't don't watch the game at Anfield then, or a game at Celtic Park, because they're not gonna stand for the national anthem. They haven't done, and they won't do. So just get over it and move on. 
It all just comes down to like it's a, it, we're, like it's supposed to be a democracy. People are entitled to. Protest, oh, it's only it's, it's only a democracy by name, Stephen. Though yeah. it's, we we all know it's it's not by we 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 all know it's not by uh, actual rule. It's them Plus, and, you know, and us. They robbed us of James McLean's reaction to the minute silence as well. So um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think they did him a favour. Yeah. <laughs> give him a couple of weeks to cool down before he gets this thing but um, yeah I thought it was stupid like, uh, it was great to watch other leagues and pay attention to those don't get me wrong we watched AC Milan last night to give to square Brenton a bit because they're obviously in the same Champions League group as uh, Chelsea and they look good at Patine especially Rafael Leal before he gets sent off but look it's happened now hopefully get the games on there's European games come up this week anyway Champions League and Europa League and Europa Conference League so hopefully it'll be. I know Rangers have have now decided that they're only it's behind closed doors. Hmm. So no fans no, at all. I thought it was just no away fans. I think it's sorry, no away fans. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah, no away fans allowed. No Napoli fans allowed to, to to travel because I think the Queen's body is still in Scotland. Yeah. Okay. Um, until I don't know when, and um, yeah, so no no away fans are allowed to travel to Scotland. Uh, for that game, which. Uh, again, is the whole thing's just mental. Uh, but I think anyway, no, no Rangers fans to the game. Yes, then. I think fair play to UEFA. They said none, none to go that game, which is fair enough. They won't want to go that game anyway because they're going to get hooked. Um, we'll move on talk about more of the football. Brenton, actually, sorry, Stephen, sorry, sorry. I'll give you this. Since you were last on, United have won three league games. I know they're beating Thursday night, which was a nice touch from my father, but. Um, they've won three or four league games, beating Liverpool and Arsenal. How do you feel about United at the minute? <sighs> Too many false dawns to get uh, overly excited, but like obviously the big thing is, you know, the 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 common thread of the wins was dropping Maguire and Ronaldo, and the common thread of the losses was playing Maguire and Ronaldo. So <laughs> I think we found I think we found the winning formula for Manchester United going forward. Uh, I've I actually have to say I I've enjoyed watching them. Um, I thought they were particularly good against Arsenal. Um, rolled their luck at times against Liverpool, but I think you would say they deserve to win. Um, so I think overall, I think uh, I've been very happy with what I've seen. Uh, Anthony looks looks like he's got a bit about him. Obviously, a huge huge transfer fee, but there's a bit of bite to him that I I, I quite like. Um. So I think, yeah, I think overall you'd have to be happy. Like we haven't, like United haven't had a run like that in, in a long time. Um, I think beating Southampton in the middle of it was important as well because you know Solskjaer had his moments against big teams like the PSG get win and uh, a couple of Liverpool wins and stuff like that. Like so, I think to see them pull out like a win against a, you know, a mid-table team in the middle of it was, and and that was a tough watch. Like it wasn't a great game of football. But like he shored things up at the back. I think that's the that's where you start. Like we said it about Tuchel, and we'll get on to Tuchel in a bit. But when he first came into Chelsea, he what he got right was the defensive shape and the defensive system first, and then you'd hoped the goals would come. And unfortunately for for him, they didn't really. So I think that's next for United. Is like let's keep this very tight at the back, conceding none or or one goals a game, and you you'd fancy the attacking third of United now with the freedom that, that Fernandez is playing with 
think Rashford has been very good of late. Uh, Sancho has been decent. So I think overall, yeah, like it's 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 been better than it has been. Uh, it's been a lot better, especially after the first two games of the season when I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, let's let's see that again. This is the, this break not helpful for United. I don't think because like you're not momentum because it doesn't exist as we know. But like they were in a good run of form, um, and it would have been nice to see that continue. But look, we'll we'll see where they are after it it all comes out in the wash. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is that um, even though his, his third touch is always a tackle, he's still picking McTominay, mm. which is, you know, brave and fair play to Ten Hag. It's not what I would do, and I think once Casemiro finds his feet um, and gets starting, which I think will probably be a bit like what happened with Fabinho at Liverpool, he didn't get started straight away and then he came in, uh, you'll see a much... Cause with United, they're still not fully controlling midfield. There are times that like Christian Eriksen has been class, um, <laughs> especially against Arsenal. He was very good at times. And I think when Casemiro does get in there and finds his feet, you'll have Eriksen, Fernandez, and Casemiro. That'll be quite a tasty midfield. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Like I think the Liverpool result, it wasn't it obviously wasn't an amazing game, um, and Liverpool only woke up after what about. 70 odd minutes but um, really good signs like Sancho scoring in a big game was mm. massive for United massive for his conference because he hadn't done it yet and nobody had really started saying thing. he hadn't really got much grief yet but you're starting to wonder is this going to pay off Like, because it's such money spent on him and he's such a talent but the way he took that goal was just unreal like the stop in the middle of the box sent uh, Milner for for <laughs> chips stood Van Dijk up and then passed in the corner it was it was a really 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 good goal Rashford found some form too has been excellent um, for United so yeah I, I, like they've looked really good and, and one of the things as well like we talked about this last night Britain Varane has looked really really good Varane has looked like the Raphael Varane you thought you were getting there's been a lot put on Martinez because um, obviously his height and the fact the first two games very poor i don't I can't believe he got your player of the month. I think that might have been like a confidence boost type thing because I don't yeah. think he was your best player over the month. Um, and I do still think with Martinez, there is a huge mistake in him. You know, I think he's he's very chaotic. He's like Mascherano on steroids at times. He's good. I think he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not slating him, but he is chaotic. Whereas I think Varane has just come in quietly, been really really effective. And you can see when Varane starts with Martinez that Varane's the leader. And that's oh, maybe yeah. what Ferran has found that when he's having to play beside Maguire, and this isn't me having to dig at Maguire, but because Maguire's club captain, he maybe doesn't feel like he can, you know, take over that midfield defence. Sorry, and you, you, when he is in there, just with Martinez, like against Liverpool especially, he was really marshalling that defence. So, look, I think, and I don't say this often, but I think there is some good signs for United. But as you said, and I said this to Brent the other night, I do think that there has been a few false dawns. I don't think this is going to be a side that's going to challenge this year, but there is certainly enough players in there that can really, really push for top four. Obviously, I mean, it'd be if they don't get top four, it'd be a um, poor run for Ten Hag. But I do think there is more players in that, and there seems to be more belief in the squad at the minute that it is certainly something they can do. Yeah, there's definitely a confidence thing there. I think uh, I think that's right, and I, I think you're right. Like, I don't see them challenging for the the league around this year at all. I think it was fairly clear. Uh, did a night what he thinks of the Europa League as well 
which is good. Um, like had, the focus has to be top four, getting back to Champions League football, and yeah, we'll 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 see. I, I'll, I'd like to see where they are at Christmas. I think if they're top four, or top three at Christmas, I think you'd be happy, especially with the way like some of the other teams have started around them as well. So yeah, um, but it was nice. I have to say, it was particularly nice to uh, to be Arsenal, considering Arsenal fans suddenly believed that they were, you know the greatest team to ever play football um, <laughs> oh uh, so that was that was that i particularly enjoyed that i enjoyed that don't get me wrong i enjoyed that Liverpool win despite knowing uh the situation with your dad that kind of did put a bit of a i uh, know if it had been way around he'd have enjoyed it but uh like i didn't i couldn't even text you the slag you about it like you know so uh, um <laughs> But I did text Johnny to slag him about the Arsenal game, so that was Well, <laughs> to be fair to Arsenal, they had an invincible August, so um, it's the first time they've ever done that in the league. They've actually gone, you know, a period of time unbeaten. It's actually a true invincible state period for them, so fair play to them. Um, now, Brenton, the elephant in the room, uh, or human centipede in the room, Thomas Tuchel, uh, as, uh, he was given the boot last week. Um, you obviously really like I know this and Stephen knows this. You were you are a huge, huge Tuchel fan. He won the Champions League, uh, Club World Cup. He, he, there's no doubt, and he's a great tactician. But like, how surprised were you and Steve? How surprised were you that Tuchel was given the boot when he was? Uh, I was so surprised. I it really shocked me. <laughs> Um, I was shocked. I, I was very shocked. It um, <laughs> it obviously came after the bad Thomas League result, and I thought, oh dear, these owners are more ruthless than Abramovich. And um, turns out, apparently, it wasn't um, based on that result at all. The the owners were at the game, um, which I thought was weird when uh, one of the journalists. Um, tweeted beforehand that they were there away. Um, in Zagreb, you know, in Zagreb, yeah. Um, not the most glamorous of places for owners to go. Like you could see if they were going to Barcelona or Madrid or somewhere. But um, I, I knew. Um, our thoughts are that was weird at the time, um, but never, never crossed my mind about um, Tuchel losing his job. I just um I from everything we've read and and listened to since it's it's you know seems like they had thought about it a lot more and the, the I don't agree with the decision but it makes a bit more sense in terms of what they are thinking um they have cleaned house uh, on the board and um basically everyone working in the football department apart from Tuchel. So it makes sense that they don't think um, he's their man moving forward. Um, but for the for what he did, and um, I've just retweeted actually on the um, the Babel Twitter, uh, the statement that Tuchel's just released, and it broke my heart yet again. Like, um, he, you know, said... Um, how difficult a statement it was for him to write and um, how he was so happy at the club and he, he thought it, you know, it, um, the statement he, he would maybe not have to write for, for years. 
so it shows how comfortable he was there um with the with the players and the staff and um, his family in london or whatever um but yeah they they clearly want to go another direction um and we'll we'll have to to move on from Tuggle, but i mean what what a manager um i think his his win percentage at chelsea was you know better than Klopp's at liverpool um which is absolutely wild um and when you're you know when you're looking at everything he was presented with in such a short period of time i mean that's it's enough for obviously the whole uh russian um abramovich situation and um personally had to deal with stuff and, and uh, covid and um chelsea not having money to travel to games etc etc and he was you know I, I said repeatedly on this podcast how good he was and how he was Chelsea's best asset throughout that time um, you know jumping forward some months obviously uh, they've got their feet the new owners have got their feet under the door um, and they've apparently done a lot of data analysis and um relationships it's all coming out now about relationships breaking down with Tuggle and and the new ownership it's not the role he really wanted to play um i think he just wants to be a coach and not really involved in the recruitment but they, they clearly want somebody like potter and <clears throat> apparently he's been assured that he has a target to finish top four this season but um if that doesn't happen his job's not under threat etc etc we've heard it before but um you know time is is the only thing that's gonna that's gonna prove whether you know they're serious about this project that they want and um potter developing the the young players that they have invested heavily in this this transfer window so um as i always say chaos fc um it's you just can't you can't relax when you're a chelsea fan you can't settle into anything because um I saw somebody made a reference to Game of Thrones. You know, they build up a character, and you love them so much, and then they'll kill them off. It's it's the exact same with Chelsea. I, and I'm saying this because you're not anywhere near my house, but I find some of the football under him boring, though. And I wonder, um, he was very very good defensively. Obviously, Chelsea had the unreal defensive record when he first came in, um, <clears throat> and won the Champions League, but. And I wonder too, with Bowley, is he looking? Obviously, there's the relations broken down, but is he looking at a more sort of attack thinking, sort of progressive coach? Was not saying not progressive, but there was times where it was quite boring and quite static um, mm. under Tuchel, and and maybe that didn't help. And I mean, you saw things have come out, obviously. In Athletic and I think the Guardian as well, people talking about how there'd been a breakdown over who or where he wanted a number nine to play, and and um, players weren't sure what was going on. And then he would tell them to do one thing, and the next thing the players would do it, and he'd be going mad because he wanted to do a different thing. And the player was like, "What's going on here?" You know, so obviously something had gone on. But I, I do, I, I did think it was harsh to happen then. I know one of us did predict it, Stephen. We did. What, why Why? did you think that? What was it? Was it just because of the nature of Chelsea or, or what was your thinking on it? 
I thought there were signs that that he wasn't getting what he wanted out of the team. Uh, I know that's really hard to say, considering like you know how deep Chelsea went last season, and you know especially in cup competitions and things like that. But I just I think it was actually it was it was our season wrap uh, podcast because I, I I searched my WhatsApp for where I first came up with it, it was the twenty fifth of May. Now, before anyone thinks I've got next week's lot of numbers, I also predicted that Haaland would score fewer than 15 goals this season. So, um, I, I, I Unless you weren't think... as bad as Johnny. Yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> now we're calling him a flop. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. There was just... I, I'm trying to, I, I should have listened back to the episode for, for my reasoning at the time, but it just felt like something wasn't right. And obviously, I was reading that article, like kind of the the insiders thing and, and Brendan's right like they decided well in advance of of the Champions League game that they were going to get rid of Tuchel um, but I think that's on the owners as well I think Bowley was asking him to do a lot of the things that he wasn't brought in for like he's this is the thing like head coach versus a manager um, like he was first and foremost a football coach and he was asked to be doing kind of some of those director of football things that like he really didn't seem comfortable doing I'd also say that you know he obviously had huge upheaval in his personal life I think that's like it's such public knowledge I think that's okay to, to kind of say and that does it like it doesn't matter what your job is like it does not matter what your job is but like stuff in your personal life will always affect your your, your professional life no matter how hard you try um but I just think it's so it, it it's so stupid to give a manager <laughs> hundreds of millions in a transfer window, let him keep his managerial team and his coaching team around him, and then sack him like a month into the season. Like it, it just smacks of 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 people who, owners who haven't got a clue what they're doing. Like it really, really does. Um, there's a thing that happens in, in the NFL and uh, when teams sack all their coaches just after the draft and people are like, but you've just, um, you've just drafted all these players. Do you not trust your scouts? And it's not even that. What they're doing is like, you wouldn't sack them before the draft because they go to another team with all the information about who you're going to pick up in the draft. Uh, and I think like that there is a time to sack a football manager and it is at the start of the summer <laughs> or you know just before christmas like this sacking someone just in the middle of of, of a campaign when there's nothing they can do like they're working with players who were brought in for another coach um but i also think it was telling like some of the losses of players in the summer as well that maybe maybe things were going in a diff- different direction i disagree with phil slightly on the boring thing i I think they were functional, uh, Chelsea, and I think his record in cup competition shows like what a good tactical coach he is and how yeah. how he made Chelsea hard to beat. I do know what you're saying though; they never went, like at least with United, even when we were shite. Like, I mean, you'd still enjoy watching them, so like because they might get hot in nine nil. But I I I can see that a little bit, but I still think. Some team is going to get a very, very good coach. And I think, moving, I suppose, on to the next stage, I think a very, very, very good coach has gone to the wrong team and should have held out. Um, because I, I 
this ownership, I don't trust them at all. Just before Brenton jumps in, because I know we need to wrap this up, and Brenton wants to talk about Potter. Quickly, just, just name the club. Who do you think Potter should be going to? I'd have had out for Liverpool if I was Potter. Oh, God. Club's going to go this <laughs> year. Um, <clears throat> I can't lose two fathers in the one year. That's too cruel. Um, right, Brenton, get on here about Potter, because I know you're dying to, to launch in. Um, and... Give us your take. I, I'm a Steve. I don't think. I, I think he's a great coach. I just don't think the fit. You're not used to it. You're used to seeing like Ancelotti or Conte, someone in a really pinstripe. Even Tuchel didn't look right sometimes. In a st- sharp suit. Um, class. Not since Potter's not classy. You know what I mean by that? Just the vibe they give off. Whereas Potter. Not English. Completely different. Yeah. And Potter just seems like it's just completely different. But also, he's an unreal coach. So that's why he's got the job. Like, so what do you think? I agree in terms of um, it, it. It doesn't seem like a fit at all to me. Um, but I think we still need to get our heads around that this isn't that they, they don't want us to be the Chelsea that we're used to. Uh, the new owners, I think they they want to try and be Liverpool. Um, they want to try and um, create. Uh, uh, you know, a pathway um, that is um, easy for you know the academy players to actually make it to the first team. The because you know we know how good Chelsea's academy has been uh, and not been made use of because of the pressure. Um, mostly from Abramovich stirring over the stand um, after you lose two games and draw one game in, in, in four. Um, and therefore, managers don't feel comfortable playing um, youth products or they don't feel comfortable trying things and trying you know, different formations and, and different combinations. And I think... Um, at somewhere like Brighton, uh, Graham Potter was able to do that, and sometimes, as he says in his, you know, quite emotional statement to the Brighton fans, um, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, and I think what the the idea at the minute is uh, is that obviously he'll be ex- more will be expected of him because the the, the quality of player is better, um, the facilities are better, the academy's better, blah 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 um, it's a bigger club, so more will be expected of him, but I think he will get the opportunity to try those things and and um, you know, to bring players through um, and give them a pathway to the first team, because we've, we've seen, you know a very small number do it and how successful it has been when it's done right for, for the likes of Rhys James and, and Mason Mount um, and for some of the players that they have sold on like we were watching Fikao Tomori last night um, Tommy Abraham at Roma you know the Chelsea produce world class players and Graham Potter is a world class coach um, so they want uh, they want some cohesion there. I hope 
they're true to their word um and they do give him time if that's what you know if they're gonna let him go after 18 months two years and get the you know the next um the hottest manager on the market at that stage then there was absolutely no point in letting Tuchel go because I, I agree that wherever he goes the you know they'll be so lucky to have him he's um, gonna end up at Juventus in about two weeks yeah yeah he, he's they're, current, they're currently getting beat again so he's gonna end up in Juventus in about two weeks um and no doubt you know he'll probably win the league next year um and may even win them the Champions League um, but yeah, I th- you know, uh, there's there's no point in doing that if you don't give him. Like Klopp was given time, and look what what happened there. Um, so it, and he, you know, he has. This, I can see why Steve's saying about Liverpool because he's got a similar philosophy the way he approaches it. Um, he has a very. Um, certain way of playing <clears throat> and Chelsea aren't aren't used to giving managers four and five years to to put into terms along or to put in to practice a long term plan. And a big thing is is that he's brought four or five of his staff, I think. And uh, one being the head of recruitment. So um it does seem like it's it is a project that and project use so much like and I, I I just don't have another word but um Chelsea very very much so recently have been about immediate success and immediate pressure to get immediate success and this you know may may be uh, the new owners putting their stamp on it wanting to to create uh, something a bit more long term but we've seen absolutely nothing yet so um time will tell Time certainly will. In the first games against Salzburg on uh, Wednesday night, I believe. So that won't be an easy one for him. But in his first time in the Champions League too. So interesting times for Graham Potter, obviously. Um, as you said, he's a great coach. Just not sure. There's nothing to suggest Chelsea will give him time <laughs> so far. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But if it does work out for him, like uh, it could be pretty special Chelsea. It'll be interesting to see where he goes tactic-wise, where he does go with a 3-4-3 that he played at Brighton. Although yeah. they were very flexible, but if he does go with that and and what comes of it, but I think um, that will maybe do us for this week's pod and this pod back. We don't know if it's going to be Premier League games or not next week, folks. So um, if it's not, we'll just do something similar. We'll talk about the European games again, and there'll be something mad that'll happen in the world of football that we can talk about. Um, so we'll be back next week. We might even have a bonus pod during the week, uh, depending on what happens in Europe and different things. But we'll keep you posted. Uh, There'll obviously be no zeros and heroes from me this week because nothing's happened in the Premier League. But uh, we'll see. I'll maybe do one covering the European games, depending on how teams get going. But yes, folks, thanks for listening. Um, and everyone that listens, randomly heard more people listening in the past couple of weeks um, than I thought were. So that's pretty cool. And thanks very much for that. Um, get us on Instagram and Twitter for at Football Pod. That's where you'll find all our social stuff and anything coming up. And get our shows across Spotify, any whatever it is, Spotify Podcast, Alec, iTunes, wherever you, you get your podcasts, you'll find us. And get us on Patreon at footballbabblepod forward slash patreon.com or something. I don't know. One of those things. Type in us in the Patreon, you'll find us. And if you can't donate, 
Uh, every little helps. Uh, trust me. And yeah, we'll chat this again next week. Stephen Brenton, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Yes. And Stephen, happy birthday. Thank you very much. 30 again. Yeah, 30 again, second time. Uh, good luck, everyone. See you again in the week. Cheerio.